welcome back to Probably About Politics. This episode, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and the Emergency Measures Act and how those two things interact. Yes. Hey, that kind of rhymed a little bit. <laughs> a little. An exciting, <laughs> uh, exciting rhyme for an exciting time. Oh, wow. That, that rhymed uh, a little look. bit too. Very nice. Very nice. Very nice. We're getting good at this. <laughs> hey, okay. So this episode, we're talking about our... Uh, right to party and how we've got to fight for that. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to know that is not actually included. The official stance, I, I guess, of peaceful assembly is that no matter what, we should be able to get together in big groups <laughs> and just fifteen party, or more. Right? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. It's party time. But no, what we mean by party is that you're going to listen to this episode like uh, six yeah. feet away from your friends. Yeah, maybe uh, video don't call one earbud each. Yeah. That's how we're doing it. But today we're talking about the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms. This is part of our fundamental big legislation series, uh, which turns out to just be like, what does Canada think? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which I think is a good spot to start because the Canadian democratic process has been relatively successful over time. Mm -hmm. Um, And so today we're talking about what were we going to say? Well, it also sort of can get grouped into being like, oh, it's just like the UK or, oh, it's just like the US. And it's actually uh, kind of uh, quite different than both. Or, uh, <laughs> I thought you were uh, going to say it's actually better. Well, <laughs> look, we're we're not getting in that game <laughs> this time, but maybe in a future episode. <laughs> Fair enough. So we're going to be talking about the legislation that kind of built canada now okay yeah (laughs) and what it means to be what it what what being a canadian citizen allows you to do right uh and the protections that come there with Mm -hmm. even though they are not exclusive to canadian citizens when you're inside (laughs) of canada (laughs) and then the second half or two-thirds of this episode will be about the exceptions to these rights and freedoms because we're going to be talking about when provinces can break the Canadian Charters of Rights and Freedoms uh, through their notwithstanding clauses. Some of these provinces that have never said that they think that the Charter is a good idea and how the Supreme Court doesn't care. (laughs) And also uh, talking about the Emergency Measures Act and kind of how and when it can be implemented and what it actually means. Mm -hmm. So without further ado, Kaylee, why do we have a Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms? It's like the UN already has one, right? Yeah. They don't have their own Canadian charter. They have just their charter of rights and freedoms. <laughs> um, well, I think you... So, like, if you look at the UN Charter of Rights, Human Rights and Freedoms, it, it is much uh, bigger in scope. Like, it, it, hmm. So you're sort of zooming in, right? Um, and to come to Canada, we have the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Most provinces have uh, human rights legislation and yep. and at their level and then i would not be surprised i don't know for sure if even at a municipal level there's like another piece of legislation that says even more specifically what your rights and uh obligations and freedoms are um Mm -hmm. so it's just as a part of good process if you are a governing body you should probably also have documentation uh laying out the rules and the rights that everybody has (laughs) yeah i mean this is just a big part of like what legislating is is like yeah. making rules about the rules <laughs> and saying like 
we're not even allowed to necessarily do these things. And so we can't make rules about them. But often you end up going and making rules about things. And Mm -hmm. there is, this is where um, Alberta has used the notwithstanding clause recently Mm -hmm. to make legislation about stuff that they're not even allowed to make legislation about. But they're like, (laughs) you know, we're going to go ahead and do it anyway. And it doesn't have, it doesn't carry any legal authority. But (laughs) screw you, we're going to do it because that's what we want. Yeah. But yeah, so like in, in 1982 it it was sort of a big moment uh canada i think like if you sort of i've had to take a few canadian political history courses if you sort of you you can start at like about world war one and then there's like a build-up over time of canada um increasingly feeling that it is separate from great britain um or the uk Mm -hmm. um and and getting more and more capable um of of taking over its own governance and wanting it's is you know sort of like the kid that's ready to move out um is a lot of the comparisons yeah. <laughs> that are, are made in classes uh, 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 okay. that i've gone to um <laughs> and you know so eventually we get confident enough we come up and we say here's the canada act queen you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna sign it and we've also got our charter of rights and freedoms to prove that we've really thought about the rules <laughs> that we're gonna follow <laughs> Yeah, so there is previous legislation legislation that has kind of made Canada sort of more and more a country mm-hmm. along a long time. Like 1763, we have royal pro- proclamation that there's a place over here mm-hmm. yeah. that has a government, right? <laughs> yeah. Then we have the British North America Act in 1867, mm-hmm. um, which is like this place is its own country, kind of. It mm-hmm. has a government that um, we recognize, but the UK can still change our constitution and make amendments to us. Uh, and then in 1982, we still have the queen though. So we're yeah. sovereign, but the queen in her um, authority as the queen of Canada is a completely separate entity mm-hmm. than in her authority as the queen <laughs> of the other Commonwealth nations, despite being the same person. Yeah. Uh, and kind of like really officially or like, in practice, nothing really changed, mm-hmm. right? Because the UK was like very far removed from actually making amendments to Canadian law. Yeah, um, I mean, we, it's nice to yeah. codify that. <laughs> yeah, so like for a while, it took us a long time to get our own like Supreme Court here and mm-hmm. our uh, sort of power over our judiciary system. Um, and so there were like a lot of things where it just like wasn't working very well anymore. Like the UK had a lot of its own things that it was trying to deal with. Um, so it wouldn't necessarily be paying attention to us frequently enough. And so things would get really slowed down. So just like from a, a functional perspective, it wasn't working anymore. Um, mm. You know, we had a lot of independent needs and they weren't meeting them anymore. So we said, bye bye. <laughs> <laughs> but not really, please stay in our lives because um, we didn't we didn't uh, yeah we still have the queen yeah so we've got this kind of new set of rights that comes along with that mm-hmm. we're like hey we're canadians now mm-hmm. what do canadians do canadians are allowed to move around in canada and canadians <laughs> are allowed to come to canada and we're allowed to vote and everything that i say you have to be allowed to say it to me in french too yeah because <laughs> <laughs> yeah that will come into play a lot with the canadian charter <laughs> and whether or not <laughs> yeah. French uh, has any say over what happens uh, in the charter itself, um, but so we make this this new piece of legislation mm-hmm. that is kind of actually contentious when it gets implemented. Yeah, I mean, initially it was 
So, like, there's a, a few reasons. It was very uh, liberal. Like, it was only made by the liberals initially. And Trudeau, what Trudeau wanted, and he was going to try and just sort of shove it through as that. But eventually, you know, opposition were like, we we would like to take a review of this and, and bring in our input. Provinces had opinions. They were nervous about the amount of power, powers it would remove from them um, to make their own decisions. So there need to be compromise there. Um, and Quebec separately also had issues with how uh, their rights and representation would be compromised. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it, it came in as a, uh, as a document that was very like made by Pierre Trudeau, who's the prime minister at the time made by advisors mm-hmm. who were in the liberal party. And then it did have to go through a fair bit of, of national compromise on, mm-hmm. on what was going to be in it. Well, because, and when the actual legislation was going to be put through, mm-hmm. Trudeau was like, I think we should do this. It's a really great idea. There's a big pushback from the premiers mm-hmm. who are like, no, this is taking, first of all, a lot of power out of our hands to legislate in our own regions and also taking a lot of power out of like legislation, legislative bodies as a whole and putting it in the courts. Yeah. Right. And so then Trudeau was like, fine, you don't think this is a good idea? And I do. Let's put it to a national referendum. Mm-hmm. And the <laughs> provinces did not like that. <laughs> so... <laughs> that kind of fo- he there's just like i don't know how much all of our listeners know about like the way that pierre elliott trudeau acted as prime minister <laughs> and the way he just was like you know just watch me as he famously said yeah um and so he puts it he's like we'll put it through this referendum and the promise is like okay no no okay man no it's cool be cool here <laughs> be cool here we'll just talk about it uh to which Quebec said, "No, I'm not even talking about it." <laughs> um, and then the, the but then then the premiers came, and that's when all of these kind of like the wording of it is very kind of open to interpretation now. At this point, like a lot of just like unreasonable yeah. is a word used a lot. And it, so, I, I'm not a legal expert, but there are also a few reasons. Like there were there were good reason for concern once you. Mm-hmm. The thing that happened, we had a Bill of Rights previously, and what had happened is we'd written it down, and then the courts interpreted it very narrowly. So it needed Mm -hmm. to be a document, the next document that came through would need to be something that was flexible and allowed for what I read somewhere to be called judicial creativity, um, Mm -hmm. so that things can be interpreted. I mean, I think you see sort of as the most, like, I think famous example, the U S has a written constitution and therefore everything is interpreted for many people. Mm -hmm. It must be interpreted by the word. So once you write it down, the there, we could talk about the advantages of written and unwritten constitutions at some point, but once (laughs) you write it, somebody else on the pod to talk about that to us. Yeah. (laughs) There's what, but the problem is, is once you write it down, it, it is written. Um, and you have, you'll have, room for interpretation whereas when it is unwritten Mm -hmm. there is perhaps more room for the creativity um and so the charter incorporating some of this vague language um Mm -hmm. and and being more open to change than uh than certain other constitutional documents uh it Mm -hmm. allows it to be more flexible so that you know now we're in 2020 um if something in it that in 1982 didn't work anymore we could Mm -hmm. make it work for us I don't know if I haven't read anything about this, but I'm just thinking about this now. Mm-hmm. So sure. just going off the let's, dome let's with my <laughs> analysis of the charter here. But 
The vagueness of the language seems to be important when you're writing a document in two different languages, which have mm-hmm. words that have different interpretations. Oh, yeah, I'm sure and that matters. <laughs> there's just not necessarily like a way to say the exact same things. Mm-hmm. And depending on who's writing, you're like, I don't know, man, this is what I wrote. Can you put this into French? And they're like, oh, yeah, sure. Don't worry about it. This is totally this totally means the same thing. <laughs> and like now the charter has been. Uh, translated into like 22 languages mm-hmm. right which one which one does like the supreme court use as their like official do they use the english and french I charter think they, equally I think and like they're obligated to use them equally and they just assume that the language is identical in them okay and, well like, means the same thing again I mean, you're not a legal expert fine but please like... don't please nobody take this as like <laughs> something i know for sure but i would assume that that is the one that they were really, they were like, we're going to really make sure that this works. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd be fair uh, enough. Um, and then, so I would assume that based on language rights, you'd have to be able to use both. Uh, based on yeah, language I'm rights just... enshrined in the charter. So hopefully they wrote yeah. them right in the charter. Um, I'm just but... wondering, maybe homework for listeners, you can tweet at us. If there's ever been, like at the Supreme Court mm-hmm. level, a ruling that comes down and they're like okay the issue is that in french this means this thing in english this means this thing and it actually matters at this point how we interpret this uh so tweet at us if there ever has been an example of that probably not but let's see it just yeah it seems like i i'm sure maybe there has but it also just seems like wow guys this is the thing that we have to get right um (laughs) we all know that french and english are the two languages yeah but like and in, in like the American mm-hmm. uh, Constitution, I mean, like they're missing like a comma, mm-hmm. right? In the yeah. very in like within the first like ten words, yeah. so it's like I, don't I mean, know. People also make mistakes, dude. Uh, yeah, also the <laughs> like the literacy level uh, in 1982, I think, was different than when the the oh, and, yeah. and language in general was different. But yes, I agree. I see what you're saying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we have this document. It's in. Several languages, <laughs> unimportant which. Um, and there was a little bit of opposition, but eventually they get it done, right? We get Jean Chrétien and some premiers meeting in a kitchen mm-hmm. in, in a conference uh, building in Ottawa. They finally make this uh, patriation of Canada comes through. Mm-hmm. We have these rights and freedoms. But going from there provinces don't have to abide <laughs> uh like yes and no <laughs> um like it, it because if it doesn't if it if it it's their jurisdiction versus the federal jurisdiction is yeah. more the issue than they have to abide um but i i mean i mean referring to like the notwithstanding clause oh, allowing yeah. them to like specifically infringe upon rights for five years at a time. Yeah. So I guess the other thing, like, so notwithstanding clause is, is, yeah, section 33. Um, and yeah, you can override rights in section two and section seven to 15 for up to five years subject to renewal, um, which is, was an important inclusion that the, they the provinces fought for. Um, at the time, uh, and Quebec, I guess, repeatedly sort of uses uh, to sort of uh, <laughs> protest the, the charter. Um, yeah. But, I mean, the, the other important, like, it's not used that often, 
on the scale of it. The federal government has never used it, uh, and only Saskatchewan, Quebec, and Alberta have used it. Yeah, have actually. So it's kind of interesting because if you look at like the usages, if you go on the notwithstanding clause Wikipedia page and look at look at like the usage chart, Mm -hmm. there's like right after the Canada Act, right? Mm -hmm. There's like kind of like a a number of uses. Mm In, by a, by a small group of provinces in the 80s, right? Mm-hmm. And then you get like around 2000, there's two uses by Alberta, but that aren't actually brought, that don't actually have any effect. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, Saskatchewan, Ontario, Quebec, and New Brunswick uh, yeah, all use true. it in 2018 and 2019. Yeah. And so like, what's happening? What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> like what? Like all of a sudden, I mean, the New Brunswick one is kind of interesting because they're like, you have to immunize your kids and we're only using the notwithstanding clause because we don't want some rich lobby saying that you <laughs> to bring us to court about this and saying that you can't immunize your kids like an like anti-anti-vax law mm-hmm. but like the ontario usage um with the ford government mm-hmm. being like oh we're gonna make this we're gonna use the notwithstanding clause uh for like local local elections because mm-hmm. they were like oh toronto we're gonna change it so you only have 25 city councillors and they were like we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna like literally violate the canadian charter of mm-hmm. rights and freedoms for this and then the canadian court of appeals was like hey it's no big deal just do you can do that if you want but they were like straight up willing because like there was supposed to be such a political cost to using this clause that it would be uh, effectively never used right mm-hmm. but like all of a sudden the wheels have come off <laughs> <laughs> like, like the efficient lo- local government act was i don't know it's it, don't yeah know. maybe i'm showing my political bias here but that is like such a crazy thing to mm-hmm. use the notwithstanding clause to try to enact yeah <laughs> it just makes no sense i think that so yeah the theory is that there's a, too much of a political cl- cost most of the time to just sweepingly use the notwithstanding clause which is always I think we've increasingly seen um, these sort of concepts of norms and just like an understanding that this is not to be overused is risky uh, because yeah. every so often you'll find people who will choose to to use it. The uh, risk. Yeah, to take that <laughs> risk. Um, and I think we've, we've definitely seen a few examples of that internationally and, and nationally here in Canada. Um, mm. But it is, it is like, it's tricky as well because w- without the notwithstanding clause, it does take a lot of the flexibility out of it. It has generally not been abused. So it's about a balance mm-hmm. of like this yeah. one abuse over since 1982, like in, in our opinion, one abuse. But again, it, mm-hmm. it stood up um, in, in court. Uh, is, is it worth uh, the risk uh, is, is something that we always, I think, should think about. But have currently decided is i suppose if that makes sense mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean because that's kind of what i mean a lot of rights are about like even when like the minor majority wants something different mm-hmm. the minor the minority is protected yeah in these things yeah. and so it's kind of like yeah there will be some abuses but the kind of spirit of the thing in general mm-hmm. is like this will protect most people most of the time and be like as good as possible. Like the whole thing yeah. is about give and take and flexibility, yeah. right? And so it's it's kind of it's it's a kind of unique thing about the Canadian Charter specifically mm-hmm. is this like ability of <laughs> other <laughs> bodies to just override it. Mm-hmm. But I think it is it's kind of like an interesting it's not uniquely Canadian. There are other charters that do have it, but they're pretty rare. Mm-hmm. But it's definitely like a cool <laughs> 
cool thing that yeah. we all learned about a couple years ago when Doug Ford was like, nah. Yeah. <laughs> Toronto City Council. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think there's like, there's yeah, there's a lot to be said. Like the, a lot of the Canadian charter has very much become for many Canadians, this isn't true for everyone, but for many Canadians, the spirit of all, part of what the spirit of being Canadian is. So there mm-hmm. does, there really is a cost a lot of the time to, or, or a sense that this is what it means to be Canadian and, and violating that will have a cost or it won't feel mm-hmm. right to the public. So, I, I mean, to have something that feels so ingrained uh, makes it much more valuable in terms of governance, I guess. I was watching like a little interview with a woman who had just become a Canadian citizen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she was talking about, and you used this word earlier in that there are the obligations that go along with Canadian mm-hmm. citizenship. And she was like, I really liked how like they kept talking about how I have obligations as a Canadian citizen, Mm -hmm. not only to like be protected, but then to like uphold these protections for other people and Mm -hmm. how like these things do matter. And that like as a citizen, it means doing certain things, Mm -hmm. even though I think if you grow up in Canada as a Canadian citizen, nobody ever really talks to you about this so much. But like when you're taking the citizenship course, they're Mm -hmm. like, hey, you have to like help people. And you have to like respect these laws. So it's kind of different. But like this term obligations that you used earlier, is Mm -hmm. this like a specific term that's used in these pieces of legislature or legislation? Um, I think so. It becomes about how you how you word the document. I don't know. Obligation is a a word that is used around citizenship a lot of the time. Um, I uh, in the charter, I, I I wouldn't specifically know, but a lot of it is more, so the charter has been designed, if you think of the rights and the rights that, again, because it's a famous example that you have in the US, it's very much about what the state owes you, but there is, uh, that means that there's less about what you owe to the state in terms of uh, uh build nation building or or if there is a situation we're going to get into it like emergency powers and quarantine act um are all things that we can do because you've built into the charter a sense that like it is not just individual rights it includes group rights which is sort of a an innovation that was kind of of the time very like the UN was also introducing the ideas of individual versus group rights and how do you balance those in in uh, society, um, and the yeah so the charter very much tries to build in there are things that you as an individual um, are allowed to, that are should be sacrosanct and protected, but then there are also elements of the group that need to be uh, protected and that we have obligations to the wider society. Um, and and Canada as a whole, I suppose. This is interesting that you say this, like the American obligation, like idea compared to like mm-hmm. Canadians, when there's like such a famous American presidential speech of <laughs> ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for yeah. your country. But I mean, if it's <laughs> if it's not built into your legislation, it's <laughs> harder to do. Um, Maybe yeah. you got to get reminded by the president every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just it's also like. Like you think about the idea that like there is an acceptance, a certain level of acceptability among most Canadians of the idea that right now we all have to stay home. Mm. Um, And you don't like it. It has not required, I think, as much um, enforcement as it might in other countries where there wasn't a willingness to accept a government like 
the government's authority, the government's uh, information that says we mm-hmm. should do this, you know, um, which is built right. into it. Yeah. Anyway. So let's get into it then. All right. <laughs> Emergency Measures Act, Quarant- Quarantine Act, and War Measures Act. So Quarantine Act is a different thing we'll talk about in a second. Mm-hmm. But if we talk about War Measures Act into Emergency Measures Act, pretty much the same thing, but emergency measures replaced war measures in the late 80s. Yes. Right? The last time, fun fact for the pod, <laughs> the last time that the War Measures Act was implemented during peacetime mm-hmm. was by, you know this, Kaylee? The one, the only, Pierre Trudeau. <laughs> Pierre Trudeau. <laughs> And now, with the looming crises mm-hmm. going going on around the world, the next time that the Emergency Measures Act may be implemented mm-hmm. in peacetime, and the only time it's been enacted in peacetime, may be the son of Pierre Trudeau, <laughs> Justin Trudeau. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> So eventually we'll do an episode on this show where we don't talk about landmark legislation and it's not only about Trudeau. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> yeah. That that moment will come. <laughs> it, it is hard. He was really prime minister for a long time <laughs> and in a very specific period. But yes, um, yeah. yeah. And as we said earlier, he kind of just he did, did whatever the hell he wanted to. Which is, which is about <laughs> to come up again about just doing whatever the hell you want to do. Yeah. So, the yeah, the Emergency Measures Act came in and replaced the War Measures Act um, in mostly in response to the fact that Trudeau uh, se- Sr., <laughs> Trudeau Sr., uh, put in, called into place the War Measures Act uh, during the October crisis uh, with the FL, no. with the F, when the FLQ kidnapped uh, the deputy premier and the British diplomat uh, in mm-hmm. the 1970s. Um, yeah. It was sort of, some people felt that it was a reasonable thing to do. Other people really did not feel it was a reasonable thing to do. It did, you know, uh, infringe on people's civil liberty, civil liberties, um, uh, uh, re- removed the rights of habeas corpus from all Canadians, um, and it was the only it was the only time it got put in place in peacetime. Yeah. Um, and so it, uh, the big challenge of it is primarily um, that there wasn't there's not a lot of checks on it. Like if they if they didn't need to go to Parliament to be enacted, and it like couldn't really be well the the Charter of Rights and Freedoms was pretty new, but it couldn't really be reviewed under that as as well. Mm-hmm. So you end up having to replace it um, with the Emergency Measures Act. And and so, like, if you think about the consequences of not being reviewed under the, the Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms and just being able to be done, like, it, the October crisis wasn't the only problem uh, in World War One. It was our fir- the first time we interred <laughs> interred people, uh, Ukrainians, I believe, and some other Europeans, and then we did it again in the Second World War. So it really gave uh, sweeping powers to the government to uh, persecute specific populations, um, not mm-hmm. necessarily in a way that could be uh, justified. Yeah, and so to kind of put into perspective the October crisis use of the War Measures Act. The War Measures Act was only ever used three times. Mm-hmm. Once during World War One. Yes. <laughs> the second during World War Two. Mm-hmm. And the third when two guys got kidnapped in, in yes. Quebec. <laughs> and and yeah. so I mean not to not to uh make light of the October crisis, but the precedent on which this act was used was completely blown out of the water by the use during the October crisis. And 
Many people thought that it was kind of the government's way of putting a damper, not only not only just trying to help these people, mm-hmm. but putting a damper on like Quebec separatism. Yes, yeah. Um, and so there was potentially political motive for doing it and not just like the benevolent feelings of your government towards you. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I like, again, if you look at, at World War One and World War II, um, like our federal government has had to make issue formal apologies to Japanese Canadians, Ukrainian Canadians, mm-hmm. and other European Canadians for the s- suppression of their rights and, and the discrimination that occurred. Um, mm-hmm. So, it, you know, there were, even before the October crisis, there was reason to think that perhaps it should get revisited. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's been kind of talk now around the potential usage of the Emergency Measures Act because they do have to, like, get they have to recall parliament they have to get together there has to be quorum met they have to pass it and so i was seeing last week i mean i haven't really seen that much about whether or not it will be enacted now last week there was a bunch in there they were like okay we're just wait probably just waiting for trudeau jr to get out of (laughs) self-isolation so that uh he can like be in parliament because he will understand more than most people mm-hmm. how important it is to be very delicate in your use of language around <laughs> this <laughs> given given the political dynasty of which he is part yeah <laughs> um, but uh, it still has it still hasn't happened yet because like what really does the emergency measures act allow the government to do that they can't just do like if it's such a great idea to do these things why do they need this special act to do it and they can't just pass legislation so yeah like a lot of it they can do uh they can do some of the things under section one of the charter uh, which does allow limitations on Mm -hmm. on rights uh for the on the basis of need um that's justifiable in the court but the emergency measures act so the other important thing to remember is that um like the charter of rights and freedoms provinces all have their own emergency measures acts that they can enact so currently uh with the current uh pandemic status like every province is able to essentially do the same thing but at the provincial level that the emergency measures act would do mm-hmm. so i'll to enact the, uh, to centralize it, uh, could be potentially not the right response for the moment. At the moment, yeah. provinces are generally governing themselves pretty well and able to handle the specific context, uh, of their situation. Um, if, if there was like a situation where, yeah, you need to better control interprovincial travel, uh, you ne- needed to better distribute resources or like one province was really failing or infringing on rights of citizens, then you might want to centralize it to a, a federal level. It might free up some more funding that they can more quickly deploy, but it, mm-hmm. it, it does. Yeah. It requires, especially in like a pandemic situation, a lot of this is provincially mandated, um, and so the provinces like to keep control of that power um, and are well suited to be able to address that power. So for the moment, it is probably easier for the federal government to work in partnership with provinces rather than enact mm-hmm. it. But yeah, it basically it gives the prime minister the power to respond to four different types of emergencies, public welfare, so natural disaster and disease, public order, civil unrest, um, uh, international emergencies and war emergencies. And yeah, so they can take special temporary measures that may not be appropriate in normal times to cope with an emergency and the resulting fallout during urgent and critical situations. So mm-hmm. it it's like it's yeah, it's it's not something you want to have to uh, put in place, I guess. 
Um, also, it does give them like a lot of power. They can evacuate people, remove personal property from any specific area, acquire property, direct any person or any class of person to render essential services. So conscription, uh, regulate, uh, distribute and availability of uh, essential goods, services and resources, authorize emergency payments, establish shelters and hospitals and impose criminal sanctions. So, yeah. Which, I mean, when really all you have to do is stay home. Like, yeah. It's kind of an overreach, mm -hmm. it would seem. Other than maybe like some of these payment uh, opportunities that are afforded mm -hmm. by it uh, and being able to pass those without having to recall yeah. um, the entirety of Parliament and everything. Because um, like that kind of makes sense. Yeah. Uh, but really a lot of this stuff uh, is really not, like it could be more necessary if there was like a like huge national like natural disasters mm -hmm. or something all yeah. over the country makes a little bit more sense than just telling people to stay at home but yeah of course we don't know what's going to happen and there are some uh parts of it that would make sense to enact during yeah the pandemic uh yeah and so like some of these individual elements they can in do without having to do all of them um mm. and also i guess like if they need to nationalize parts of the economy they might want to uh, enact the act but mm -hmm. again almost all of them uh if the provinces have enacted their emergency acts they can do these things so at, it just yeah it just depends on if do you need to centralize uh the the, the power or is it better mm -hmm. for it to be handled individually but so there is an act that is enacted <laughs> yes there is an act that is enacted <laughs> um, um, which is the quarantine act yeah um, it is, uh, yeah, it in effect provides, uh, it's almost always in place. It was, uh, I, I guess it was sort of amended after the SARS crisis um, to try and address some of the legal authority of provinces and health emergencies. Um, but basically, it gives the Minister of Health sweeping power to stop the spread of disease. And it is almost always in act, like it's almost always being used to a certain degree. Um, mm -hmm. And so that you can like establish quarantine stations anywhere in Canada uh, and provide all persons entering and leaving Canada uh, must be screened. You could, so that's currently obviously happening um, at airports and major like border crossings right now. And then they were like able to set up the an Ontario military base to be uh, a place to isolate for travelers returning from China. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, so they can do it. It's basically just gives the health minister powers over pa a pandemic situation. Yeah. Normally like they would. So the, the real difference is that it's like now they can say not only should you self-isolate mm -hmm. when you come back to Canada, but you have to. And if you don't, mm -hmm. <laughs> there are repercussions other than yeah, pretty much spreading disease. Yeah. And so like a, a lot of this is like, these are all like good to know about, um, and then also to know about how I think that another important, well, we've talked about it a little bit, but in this is like, you have to, the government has to justify it. So because we have the mm -hmm. charter, um, every, so like, for example, section six, which is every citizen of the charter of rights, and every citizen of Canada has the right to enter, remain and leave Canada. And this can't be applied. The notwithstanding clause cannot apply to this. Um, it, you'd have to meet a very high burden 
of need in the eyes of the mm-hmm. court in order to limit the movement of Canadians between provinces and yeah and how that if that does happen you've really got to watch it because yeah they would have to go to the courts and the courts they can be f- flexible in these situations but it will it it does the government has to really come in with a precedent and a need and limit mm. and limitations that they'll put on it even i think it's easy to be like well the government would just like do the things that are necessary with this act so it makes sense mm-hmm. um but even small things are not necessarily small things mm-hmm. but things that seemingly would be unimportant uh for people to object to like last week when or i guess this previous week <laughs> that we're still in um when parliament reconvened to try to pass these new spending bills mm-hmm. right uh there was a conservative rebuke to the liberal bill because they were like hey we get like we get that you have to like pass these mm-hmm. pass this like emergency funding and everything but it seems like you have this like overstep where you're like yeah and we're also allowed to do whatever funding we want for the next year and also put whatever tax <laughs> bills in place for the next year and do all these other things where it's like wow it seems like and whether or not you agree with the um conservative uh take on this it doesn't really matter it matters that there there are people who may see opposition mm-hmm. in these things and these are this is only just like what the tax code will be for the next year in response to a global pandemic mm-hmm. where people are like hey wow the government's kind of overreaching here mm-hmm. and so it makes a lot of sense and puts into perspective <laughs> when <laughs> when even such a small thing when the government's like oh we need this special thing let's try to get a little bit more mm-hmm. um and we get to do whatever tax code we want despite our minority position in in the legislature right now uh how you could see how that may translate to just completely unmitigated power uh and how that then leads to uh human rights abuses of interring <laughs> um people into mm-hmm camps uh just based on their nationality and how i mean that's kind of like a leap but it Eh. makes sense why the war measures act was replaced and uh the emergency act is now a thing yeah and yeah it's really established a a sense that even in um that like over the history from you know world war one onwards we've we've progressively come to a place as a society where we we are willing to agree that there needs to be cooperation and and compromise in mm-hmm. situations of exception and emergency and that there are those situations but that yeah. there should be checks on it that they, we don't just go yeah. forward with it and i think it makes everybody a lot more flexible yeah and i think after the october crisis you look back and you say okay one time that's a fluke, mm-hmm. right? Okay, two times, that's a mistake. Yeah. Okay, three times, <laughs> that's a pattern, okay? <laughs> that every time this is used, somebody's get, somebody gets pretty upset. Mm-hmm. And so maybe it's time to change this yeah. thing that allows this pattern to occur. <laughs> um, not, not that the Emergency Measures Act has been enacted as of... Uh, March 28th, 2020 at 3 p.m. Eastern. Who knows, by the time I edit this and get it out (laughs) in two days, we may be living in a completely different world. And it'll be... Things change fast. It's like, it's worth paying attention to. It'll be interesting, but I think it's like useful to realize like that like it has effectively happened at the provincial level. Like, and, and now I think with like, if you think about how the Emergency Act works, you can better balance 
whether or not that is a good decision for this time. Like, does it make sense right now in this moment? And and you understand maybe more what the government is weighing when they try and try and make that decision, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, But until until that has to happen uh, right now, all we have is, you know, parks are closed. Yeah. These are our emergency measures, <laughs> which every time I, I, I've been going for walks, mm-hmm. but staying greatly distant from other people. Mm-hmm. I haven't been meeting up in public. I don't need to be shamed about this. <laughs> Put your pitchforks away. Very distant, close to my house, within a kilometer. It's fine. But there's like big signs up on like play structures mm-hmm. that are like, by order of the government, yeah. this play structure is closed due to this pandemic. Well, what happens? Like, <laughs> what? What is like? What is the like? What is the criminal like recourse against a child playing on a play structure during a pandemic? Uh, I'm sure it's out there, but there's been so many releases that it's hard to keep up. Yeah, with. probably a uh, fine for parents, I would assume. Right? Yeah, and a permanent record for that child. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no monkey bars ever again. You're done. Uh, and also. No monkey bars for any of our listeners. No. Stay away from playgrounds. Stay away from bars. Stay away from restaurants. Stay close with only the family that lives in your home. Mm-hmm. But listen to the pod. Share the pod. Don't share the virus. Uh, uh, yeah. Be safe and follow us on Twitter. Yeah, we'll <laughs> probably be recording lots of these episodes now that we really can only talk to yep. each other this way. <laughs> if you're bored, send us a tweet at probpolitics. Send us an email, probpolitics at gmail.com, or leave us a voice message on our Anchor account, or just look up probpolitics on anchor.fm, and you can leave us a voice message there. Uh, And then we may play it on the podcast or just listen to it over and over and over again because we have nothing else to do. Yeah, Yeah, maybe we'll call you if you leave a callback number. (laughs) Yeah, how fun would that be? Anyway, thank you for listening. Everybody stay safe, and more now than ever in this uh uncertain time we love you we, all. yes we love you <laughs> and, the, and the charter of rights and freedoms loves you too <laughs> thanks for listening to probably about politics